Blackbird episode number 29. My name is James, and today I am joined once again by Miguel Duque. Miguel was on the show before, I believe it was even before I rebranded to Blackbird. Miguel is a trained and certified coach and an agorist and also a Libertarian Party member, which some people will say is a contradiction in terms, but I think that LP membership and agorism can actually work synergistically. So we get into that a little bit. Miguel was also part of the Spring Awakening Squatch Fest that Brian Norton came on to talk about. So we do a bit of a postmortem on that and just all in all have a lot of fun. Miguel also is the sponsor of this episode. So I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to go check out his site, amagi.life, where he offers coaching services and occasional written content and things like that. I promise you it's going to be mentioned a couple of times in the episode as well. I have benefited tremendously from his coaching, and I think you will too. If you have goals to meet, then I definitely think that you should hit up Miguel Duque. And with that, here is my interview with, once again, Miguel Duque. Miguel, welcome back to the show. Hey, James, thanks for having me. Sure, of course. Always a pleasure to talk to you. We've actually been talking for the last hour or so as a client of Amagi.life. I was having my bi-weekly coaching session with you, which is always a pleasure. I appreciate you helping me set and reach usually my goals. And we came up with some pretty good ideas for the show and for my written content and stuff like that. So, you know, I would love for you to go ahead and do a plug at the beginning if you want to try to attract some more people from my audience on your coaching business. Well, thank you for that. No, I mean, it's an honor to coach you. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of yours and have been since we since we met last year. And I love coaching. I love that. I love getting to be part of other people's journey and their goals and their projects and them, you know, really making their vision a reality, whatever that is. Um, I particularly have been excited about just in tandem with everything else I do with the kind of networks and communities that I'm wanting to build and be a part of work with other agorists or other libertarian entrepreneurs, people that, you know, as our, as our, you know, good, good old Tom will say, you know, want to start a side hustle, you know, or monetize their, their whatever. Right. And so I love to work with people that are motivated and growth-minded and want to do big things, whether it's start a business or just basically find more fulfillment in their life. Um, I've been fortunate to be uh, professionally trained as a coach and certified as a coach and to have worked with a lot of different types of businesses and individuals in coaching. And so for anyone interested in that, would love to have a conversation, no obligation at all. Uh, and folks can go to my website, amagi.life, amagi.life. Um, and there's also amagi.life slash coaching where they can read just a short blurb about what my coaching is about and see how to reach out to me. So thanks for that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I know that my show would not be anything like what it is without your help. So I think that anybody who's sort of like an aspiring awesome. podcaster or even... You know, I mean, I had uh, Tim Cook from 
Jack Spearco's expert counsel on recently to kind of talk about side gigs and that sort of thing. And he does, you know, handyman stuff. But even then, having someone to help you reach your goals, even in like the non-digital space is certainly helpful. I guess the real reason that I wanted to have you on though, obviously that's a real reason, but Brian Norton was on episode number 25 talking about Squatch Fest 2.0, the Spring Awakening. And you were an attendee and like a coordinator and all that stuff to help get it all set up. So I'd love to just kind of hear how it went, sort of a postmortem. It just happened. We're recording this on the 21st of May, 2021. So it happened last weekend, about a week ago. And so, yeah, why don't you just kind of tell us how it went? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm so pumped getting to do this because this is my first getting to, you know, really break it down and a lot of us that were there still, I was just chatting with someone yesterday who was asking me like, are you still in the sort of afterglow, you know, and there's a little bit of that. And then there's also a sort of sense of, okay, back to the grind, back to reality, right? It can't be festival 24 seven, but it was so, so much energy, so much just honestly, just fun and joy and uh, just something really special to get to spend. I mean, I was out there for five days because um, we started on Thursday. Um, I got out there, you know, Wednesday night to get us ready. And and yeah, I was kind of helping organize the whole situation. Um, the host and the landowner is Brian Norton, who you had on. And so, you know, he really put in the most work out of everybody by far. I mean, he was just out there working on a daily basis to help get his property ready and um, to make it a really fun festival. You know, we had, we had ended up having easily, and it's hard to keep count, but easily over a hundred. It's really hard to say how many, because we had just folks coming in from all over and spread out all over the, you know, Brian's got a 15 acre property where... It's like, okay, come camp wherever you like. Literally just find a spot. It's very spontaneous order. It was very, very much, you know, very decentralized anarchist festival. So, and that that was a lot of the fun. And then um, obviously there were challenges that came with that, though that's what really gave it, I think, such a unique character where people that have been to other freedom festivals, whether they've been to you know, um, pork fest or fork fest or, um, you know, Agorapulco or whatever, whatever other festival, right? A lot of people that had been to a lot of the other festivals told me, wow, I'd never been to one quite like this that, that was co-created in, in quite this fashion. Um, cause it really was that, I mean, when we started Squatch Fest or the Sasquatch Freedom Festival, you know, it's kind of the more full former, uh, uh, formal title, <clears throat> sort of in, in, you know, inspired by the Porcupine Freedom Festival or Pork Fest in New Hampshire is, you know, it's a big inspiration. Um, we just put up a date and let people know, okay, you know, if you want to come out here, buy a t-shirt and that's your ticket. And then you come camp wherever you like. Um, there's not really anything planned. We're just literally getting together and we'll see what happens. And, uh, that was, you know, that was awesome last year in November in like the height of the the lockdowns in the Northwest and Washington and Oregon, where most of our attendees were coming from. And uh, we literally just got together around a campfire, didn't have a lot of planned activities. We did a little, we did a little kind of a, what we called a barter blanket, um, which is something that Jack Spearco talked about 
sometime last year, he put out this cool video. He was talking about how he does it at his workshop, um, his annual, his fall workshop, a barter blanket. We said so we did a little of that and um, we did have some fun, you know, fun activities, but it was just fully unplanned. And this time we wanted to <clears throat> take it to the next level and not just put a date out there, but really, <clears throat> sorry, get even more um, lined up in the way of music and learning and experiences, you know, for people. And so before we knew it, we had folks reaching out who wanted to perform or who wanted to teach yoga. You know, it really felt like, especially so when Tam, a woman named Tamra from Arizona, who actually has done, you know, yoga at some of the other festivals, like the Jackalope Freedom Festival, she's done yoga there. And when she reached out and said, hey, I'd be interested in doing yoga, you know, for you guys and traveling up and participating, I said, oh my God, that would be amazing. And it would make it feel like, like a spring awakening, like we're getting to spend time out in nature. We're getting to connect with other like-minded people and really think about probably a lot of things we want to change or improve in our lives and you know, we want to learn. And so, yeah, the yoga element, I think, brought brought a lot to the experience when we had yoga every single morning and some afternoons that we had, we ended up having like three or four different yoga instructors. That's really and cool. one of, it was awesome. Yeah. One of them actually ended up putting on the calendar or putting on the schedule, what they were calling Ganjasana yoga at 420. Um, if you can guess what that was like, people basically just, you know, toking up and... Oh, Ganjasana. I get it. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's really cool. Ganjasana. And it was great. It was great to just see that happening, you know, and concurrently with... We literally had right side by side by each other, Ganjasana yoga and a workshop going on on... um, Was it the wild crafting workshop? Or it was probably the one I'm thinking of that was happening right next to the Ganjasana yoga was the, uh, the vermicomposting or worm, worm composting workshop where our buddy named Perry taught people how to start up a worm bin, you know, where you can put your scraps in there and it turns it into really great fertilizer for all your gardens. Um, so my wife went home with a worm bin and she's now, she's now got her, her little worm farm. And so folks learned how to do that, learned how to, identify native plants that are either edible or useful for herbalism or other things. We had a workshop on, on a lot of things. I did a workshop on my hydroponic farm that I built just following Jack Spierko's instructions on YouTube. I uh, built, a, built a little hydro farm in, in our condo um, and had been growing veggies like mainly leafy greens and microgreens and other veggies. Um, so there was a whole learning aspect to it. So what, I mean, what was spring awakening? I mean, it was, it was very much a mixture of all those things, anarchy, nature, ganja, um, you know, workshops, music. So when we had, when we had music, like artists showing up wanting to perform, that's when it really felt like, oh, this is going to be so epic. And it really was, um, it was a really special weekend and everybody just left feeling like, wow, I can't wait for the next one. Cause now, now we're doing, we're officially doing two every year. Cause Brian is just 
hardcore like that and down with um with this whole vision that we've you know that we've been building and so we're doing spring and fall festivals here in the northwest for our liber you know for our freedom <clears throat> agorism whatever community anybody who practically i mean it's really not you know it doesn't have to be like strictly about agorism it's it brought in so many different types of people and it was great to see you know my friend anna who's now anna johnson who's now the the chair of the washington libertarian party came and she was telling uh she posted this in the mises caucus discord and i loved it um basically talking about like hey you guys she was telling like hey oregon and the rest of you guys in the region you really need to come out to squatch fest in the fall because there's like gadsden types with homemade guns and there's hippies like chanting Ra Krishna or whatever, um, for, you know what that even is. But she was just amazed by the the span or the broad spectrum of people that were showing up for this festival, which just made it so unique. And the energy, the vibe was just amazing. So, so yeah, that sounds like a ton of fun. Tell me about the music. I'm always into I'm always into like live music stuff. Was it like concert style sing-alongs around the campfire? <laughs> what was the What was the deal there? There was some of that, you know, we had, so we actually had, um, one person come out, her name is Mackenzie Hezon, and she actually had like a Kirtan music band. Like they had like really unique instruments, drums and, you know, other, other type of instruments I'm not even familiar with, to be honest. And they were kind of on at, at certain points, just kind of hanging around the main campfire and playing music. And that was just really cool. Just, just, yeah, felt awesome to just be around a fire with so many other cool people and the music element just, yeah, was extra awesome. But, um, but then we had actual scheduled performers. Um, we had some that ended up not working out because like we did have some people fall through and, and that was part of the challenge and the chaos with this festival was, yeah, it's very decentralized. Um, and a lot of things we wanted to be spontaneous and unplanned, right? But we did actually have performers reach out and say, hey, I want to perform. And one of the main ones who was going to actually lend us their sound equipment didn't show. And that was really frustrating. And so we had to figure out plan B and plan C. But we did have some performers, namely like there were two hip-hop artists that um, were like kind of more conscious hip-hop and they just are really down with freedom. It's so cool. Um, one guy named Torin and he's up here in Washington, um, based out of the Puget sound area. And then another fellow named Casey or his stage name is rhyme wave. Um, so Torin and rhyme wave, um, they performed for us by our main campfire stage. We did set up like a stage near the main campfire. Um, but what ended up happening, it just kind of, just organically worked out this way where most of our performances and speakers took place by this bar. It was this natural bar that was built by the uh, main campfire. And when I say natural bar, I mean like this dude, Joel showed up from kind of, he came in through the freedom cell network and some of our agorist meetups. I know I remember meeting him through one of our local agorist meetups um, that will Leonard hosts here in the Puget Sound area. And um, and it turns out he's a natural builder 
Like he's been in construction for a long time. He, the dude can just go build a house like it's nothing. Um, but he's a natural builder in particular. And he, there were these two trees, two large trees, um, several trees around the main campfire, but he picked these two in particular and built literally a bar. It's kind of a sort of a curved bar. It looks like something you'd see in a restaurant. Um, and all made out of just wood that he pretty much harvested from the property. And uh, it looks amazing and just added a real cool vibe to the whole, you know, real cool atmosphere to the whole place. Um, and we ended up just putting speakers up on that. And, you know, several other performers played just from the bar. It was dope. That's so cool. Was there a bartender? He was basically the bartender. Yeah. Not that we had like a lot of drinking, to be honest, but, you know, we had plenty of people just partaking and having fun however they wanted to. And so, yeah, he had a, he had a little bar set up and we also served food from there because it's so crazy, dude. Brian, like I always, or lately since the last festival, since the fall festival, Jamie and I, my wife and I kind of just for whatever reason started saying like, Brian, Brian's like our wizard. Um, he's just cool. He's just a cool dude like that that makes things happen. And I guess, you know, when I say wizard, like Jamie and I kind of identify with hobbits in a way, you know, or at least I do. I really have always been a fan of like Lord of the Rings and the hobbits in particular, these little peaceful farmers that just like to, you know, eat constantly and smoke their pipe weed and, you know, drink their ale and just, you know, live, live with their happy families, like over in the Shire and don't really deal with all the, all the politics and all the wars and all that of men um and such and uh but anyhow no brian brian's this freaking awesome dude that makes crazy unpredictable stuff happen and um he um why did i bring this up oh yeah just because uh since the last festival no um no for real how what how did i get in this what, what was i talking, talking about, about serving serving food at the bar yeah serving food okay so he has he had some friends that out of the blue for no reason at all, just decided, oh, okay, you're having a festival. We're going to send you, and they didn't even come, but we're going to send you like a hundred pounds of grass fed beef and pasture raised chicken and awesome food. And so he ended up bringing his smoker out on Thursday night and cooked all this meat. And uh, so we, we had that for dinner on Thursday. And then the other days we used that to make breakfast burritos, steak and egg breakfast burrito. So it was it was epic. Um, see our performances from the main stage or main campfire bar. That's kind of how it went down. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah. Something about Brian, man, he, he knows everybody. So if he ever needs anything, that's, that's just kind of the thing. Like he can get it. I don't know. And he's full of energy too. I feel like we should name him Duracell. I think that's his new nickname. Literally you, I was amazed to see him in action after four days straight. Like I was one of the people that, yeah, I was partying and having a good time and stuff, but, but I would often be going to sleep by like one or two o'clock, mm. except for certain nights. I'm like, okay, now, now I'm going, I'm going all night, but I like my sleep. Right. Um, Brian is just 24 seven. He probably got, you know, 30 minutes to an hour here and there of sleep, but he's just going nonstop. Um, and another crazy thing that he helped make happen that it was a definitely a team effort. It was definitely a in the la- in the final hour, 
crunch time. We've got to make something happen where we were going to have shirts. That's what we were promising like last time to people. Like if you, if you buy a ticket, here's what you're getting. You're getting a, you're getting a, some place to put down your tent and a t-shirt and, um, and that's the festival, right? And we're going to get together and we're going to see what, what happens. Um, so we were promising people shirts and, uh, we ended up the very last week. I mean, just not, but one or two days before the festival, um, we didn't have shirts, right? Our person who was making shirts didn't have them ordered. Uh, you know, I won't get into that. This basically the gist is (laughs) we didn't have shirts. And we were figuring out what are we going to do? Because we're not just going to tell people, okay, you paid us for the festival, right? And now we don't have shirts for you. We wanted to like exceed expectations. And a while back, we had this wild idea about machetes because Brian gets these machetes from Harbor Freight Tools for like $4.99. And he was saying like, oh yeah, when people show up, they're going to want to take at least just a few minutes to clear their campsite because he's reclaiming this whole land from being clear cut for many years ago. And since then it's basically just been taken over by blackberry vines. So, Mm. you know, folks were going to need to do just a little bit of clearing to have a comfortable space to camp. And, uh, we figured, Oh, we'll just, you know, we'll get a bunch of machetes from Harbor Freight Tools, maybe like a bucket full of machetes and hand those out so that folks can use that. Um, and so with the idea that, that sprung out of that was what if we had branded machetes and it just so happened that Brian knows somebody that does laser engraving. Yeah, laser of course engraving. he does. <laughs> so my beautiful wife, my smoking hot wife, as the no agenda fans would say, um, went to Harbor freight tools in Bellevue of all places. It's like, I don't know how to, how to compare Bellevue so that people outside of Seattle know what it is. Um, it's the east side of Seattle. It's like Bill Gates lives like 15 minutes from here. Um, you know, Microsoft and Amazon have taken everything over. And uh, and yeah, it's where it's, yeah, it's it's peak Karen town. Boy. Um, but anyhow, Jamie goes to Harbor Freight Tools Bellevue and loads her cart up with all the machetes they have out in stock and and ask them, you know, I, you know, how many more, more machetes do you have in the back? They're like, how many do you need? Oh my God. She literally is like all of them. It's um, the purge. Watch out Bellevue. And these Harbor Freight people, apparently the, the associate tells her like, I want to ask so badly, but I'm not going to. And Jamie's just, Jamie just says basically, okay, you know, Oh, and no. buys and it ends up buying 64 machetes from Harbor Freight Tools. And then Brian Bick picked up another 40 of them from uh from another location and got them down to his friend who does the engraving, we got him the artwork because we had actually commissioned some artwork from a guy named John Cooney, um, who did this awesome poster artwork. We did have beautiful posters made, and that was gonna be our shirt design that ended up being our machete design. And so surprise. You know, you came out to the Anarchist Festival, and now we're arming you with melee weapons, um, custom engraved melee weapons at that. And so people were actually really pumped about that. I think that that, that did exceed people's expectations, and it was a big part of the fun is, you know, giving out machetes, made posters and stickers, and everybody did have a blast. So we were ha- very happy with it. Did you guys do the barter blanket this year, or were there too many people? 
instead of doing a barter blanket, we pretty much just had an open agora. Like people set up booths and shops every which way, every which way, you know, all around the property. Mainly like wherever they decided to camp. Usually that's where they set up a tent, um, sort of little pop up shop. And we had folks selling everything under the sun, right? I mean, um, from the stuff the stuff that I'm willing to talk about, um, there were there were nice homemade canned goods, um, ammo. Um, what else there was, there were, Oh, I bought this beautiful, like crystal thing that I hang up in my living room. And when the sun shines, it projects like crazy, you know, um, holograms into all my living room. I don't even know what to call it. Uh, but it was my, for my friends, Stanley and, um, Stanley and Nicole over here in Washington that I got to meet for the first time at the festival. There were folks selling clothes and food and uh, just all kinds of cool stuff. So, yeah, we had a big, big agora spread out everywhere. Oh, another one I'll mention is from from the last festival. I brought kombucha, as much kombucha as I could manage to make in time for the festival, and I brought out some scobies, which is basically the the culture that you use to ferment the kombucha. And I gave away two, or I traded two scobies with a couple other folks. And one of them was um, another previous Blackbird guest, uh, Adam of Debergrit's Red Pill. Mm-hmm. And so he and his wife um, got a scoby from me last time. And this time they had like 20 new scoby babies that they were able to trade and barter. And they brought a lot of delicious. Uh, bottled kombucha and it felt so cool to be able to like they, they handed me this bottle of kombucha is just awesome that came from you know the the scoby baby that i gave them in november that's great uh, so, so the yeah. the scoby is kind of like the mother for vinegar is that exactly yeah oh man that's awesome it's, that- it's an acronym stands for symbiotic community of bacteria and yeast oh all right so i mean it really is a lot like the mother for for vinegar that's that's really cool there's like there's vinegar makers and I'm guessing there's probably kombucha makers too, but I'm not as up to speed on that tradition, but you know, there's, there's, there's vinegar makers whose mother goes back centuries. Like what you're doing with this kombucha thing, passing around the scobies, making new babies, grandparents, all that stuff. I mean, that could be like a major legacy. Yeah. uh, It felt that way just in getting to drink that little bottled kombucha. It definitely felt that way. And I told Adam, I was like, this is so cool that here you are, you've got your own kombucha production now. I got mine. I got originally got mine from Derek bros or actually from Derek bros and his friend, his housemate back in Houston. Um, Derek, Derek bros, shout out of the conscious resistance network, um, the conscious resistance.org or network.org. Yeah, so um, he's originally from Houston. Now he lives in Mexico. And uh, I hung out with him a couple times down there. And he and his housemates had like a kombucha production operation going on, among other things, community gardens and other cool things they were doing. And I was just learning about kombucha and looking for a SCOBY. And I saw one of their videos where he was talking about it. So I hit him up like, hey, would you happen to have a SCOBY on hand that, that I could get off of you? And I bartered with him. Um, I baked them some real nice gluten-free be- bread that they were wanting for an event that they were doing. And um, they traded me for their kombucha scoby. And so, yeah, that was about five or six years ago. And now here we are. I've traded uh, another one of the scoby babies with some of our Squatch Fest community. So, yeah, many, it's great. 
how all many kinds people of were like there? that happening at Squatch Fest. Yeah. So definitely over a hundred. Um, but beyond that, I really don't know if it was like 200, it was probably between one and 200 somewhere there. And they came from all over. You said someone came from Arizona. So it wasn't all just Pacific Northwest people. It was really majority, vast majority was Pacific Northwest, Washington and Oregon. Um, a bunch of people came out from Oregon. Shout out to uh, Mackenzie of the Freedom Cells and the uh, PDX Free Thinkers group that they've got based out of Portland that's super huge and active. Like she brought a ton of people from Portland and from the rest of Oregon. She knows a lot of folks down there. Um, lots of Washington folks showed up too, but we did have a few guests here and there, namely Tamara and, oh, and some of our other speakers. So for example, actually Tamara's partner is um, Howard Lickman. He started up the uh, Thick Red Line project which some folks might have heard about, thickredline.org. They focus on um, basically on educating or, or lobbying or whatever, advocating for local police and sheriffs to stop, to stop policing victimless crimes, essentially, is the gist of it. And he came to speak about that, and he also wrote a book called, I want to say it's, you know, I might be forgetting the title, but I want to say it's called Government, The Biggest Scam in History. Uh, it's a great book. It's like an awesome compilation of memes and information. And I say memes because there's a lot of great memes in there, but it's just a lot of good info that shows you about how the whole system works, how public education, you know, and the media and all these things are interconnected and the historical context behind it. Yeah. So he wrote that book started up the Thick Red Line project. And then he also, yeah, came to speak. And that he's was got, a really great speech. He's got kind of two identities, right? Like the Thick Red Line, he goes by Howard. But for his more libertarian activism work and writing, he's the Etienne de la Bautier squared or something like that, right? Is that is that his pen name for the book? Oh, yeah, yes, you're right. Um, I guess I didn't actually realize that that was the case. I, I, I knew it to be written by him, but you're right. On the cover, you know, You'll, you'll see his pen name. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, definitely highly recommend that book. And also Thick Red Line, man. He's been on the Tom Woods show with his co-founder of Thick Red Line. So it's, it's a really worthwhile project. And, you know, I mean, you and I both are from areas that have been both ravaged by police abuse, but then also by the the writing and, and reaction to that. And I think the Thick Red Line is definitely a project to get involved with, especially if you're from one of the cities that have been hit by that kind of thing. So last time you were on the show, I think I was still urban agorist and you were coming down from a libertarian party thing. And I kind of gave you shit for staying in the party. And here now you have just been at this massive agorist festival. And in the same weekend I was at, I flew out to Pittsburgh for a libertarian party event, the PA convention. So how the tables have turned, but also like, are you, are you still active in the party? Yeah, yeah, sure am. And, uh, you're right. Last time we went on, I'd be curious to see what month that was because I was thinking about how last year sort of played out, um, in terms of my, for, my yeah, for context, we recorded on Oct October 26th, I it was episode nine of urban agorist. I probably could have guessed that. I was going to say October because I was thinking about it. I was thinking about 
you know, I only just in the last two years got really heavily back into the whole liberty space and liberty movement and activism. Um, I was brought into the movement very much so by Ron Paul um, back in uh, his 2012 run. I, I kind of started to get into Ron Paul stuff in 2011, I want to say, and, you know, started learning about, you know, politics and things, um, you know, around that time, but especially when I went down the whole Ron Paul rabbit hole and learning about the Federal Reserve and Austrian economics and, and everything, um, and got, you know, pretty hardcore into, into activism back then and almost wanted to make a career out of it, but then decided based on actually what he told me, what Dr. Paul told us at, uh, at a Young Americans for Liberty conference was, oh, you know, don't, don't go straight into politics. Cause some young kid asked him like, oh, hey, Dr. Paul, you've inspired me, you know, to dedicate my life to fighting for liberty. And do you recommend I, you know, run for state office or run for local office? Or should I go into uh, nonprofit or journalism or what should I do? And he's like, you know, don't go straight into politics. You know, you're young and you've got your whole life ahead of you. And uh, go do something useful, you know, like maybe start a business or, you know, raise a family. Uh, and, and then later when you're older, if you still want to get into politics, well, then, you know, sure. But I don't recommend it. <laughs> it's like, um, so basically, yeah, it was only like maybe a couple of years ago when the Tom Woods, Scott Horton, Dave Smith, that whole wave came into the Mises caucus in a big way. Um, that definitely is what caught my attention and made me feel like, well, hey, I don't want to miss out because I miss the Ron Paul revolution, that that Ron Paul movement energy. Um, I very much, very, very, very clearly, you know, uh, um, vividly remember what that was all like, you know, to be part of that movement, um, be part of that community. And I'd always felt that you know, missing, to be honest, since, since, yeah, getting out of politics and just focusing on my life, been been able to do a lot of really great things in my life. Right. And nonetheless, still felt, um, like I didn't have that sort of, um, that sort of community of people that, that are united by that beautiful philosophy of self-ownership and voluntary, peaceful, living, you know, and in that time, having discovered my mission, which how I describe it as my mission is to lay the foundations for a voluntary, peaceful world, um, through leadership, philosophy, and love. And, uh, so not having a community that I felt really matched that was a big pain point in my life until basically until last year, until all this crazy shit started happening that, mm-hmm it really, I think has forced a lot of us to realize that like, oh, you know, this is serious. You know, we need to come together. Um, and it's not at the end of the day, it's not about, oh, whether you want to do that through the LP or through something else. It's just, no, it's, it's way beyond that, you know? And I, that's what, that's what may be the happiest about Squatch Fest or Spring Awakening is it really felt that. I mean, I had a lot of my Mises Caucus friends come out I had a lot of my Agorist friends come out that would never in their life want anything to do with the LP. And I'm fine with that. And they might not even know that I'm involved in the LP because I'm not like over here trying to sell it to them. It's, it's whatever, you know, if, if folks are interested in it, great. Hey, yeah, come, come get involved with us. Cause yes, I am now 
So I'm now actually the, the at-large or an at-large representative. Um, like yourself, congratulations. Thank you. I'm an at-large representative for my state party, um, Washington LP. You were uh, the which, county chair before that, right? Uh, I was actually the chair of LP King County. So my county party, and I stepped down from that, or I kind of, you know, passed on the torch to my other friend, Elliot Jacksh, who's now the, uh, also from the Mises Caucus, who's now the yeah, chair. I love that dude. He's, he's, he's real well-versed on uh, Robert's Rules of Order. We go to him for parliamentary questions in the Mises Caucus Discord server. Yes, he is like, yeah, I love Elliot. And he may well be the the Karen Ann Harlos, you know, for the Mises Caucus when it mm-hmm. comes to that stuff. Um, he's awesome with Robert's rules. He's he's you know awesome with philosophy and all that. So I really love that he stepped up to be chair for the King County party. And he's now also our technology director for the state party. Um, and I mentioned Anna Johnson, who was elected chair basically unanimously, no no opposition. Um you know, she she had nobody running against her, and we had a very successful Washington State Convention last month. Where no, this month. Uh, when was it? I don't remember. Um, yeah, it was earlier in May, and uh, got just all the very best people we could imagine elected to our state party leadership positions. So I was very honored to have been chosen to be an at-large representative, which kind of gives me the flexibility to do what I want to do um, and not have to be a, a chair or, you know, whatever, um, but get to be a representative and represent the party and represent the principles, which is what I love to do. You know, somebody wants to have me talk about Liberty or, you know, go to an event or something like that. Um, I am down for it 100% anytime. So that's what I love. I mean, I do just love that. I love the movement and I see the movement having a resurgence and a renaissance and a whole new, it is really, it's a whole new wave. And the way that the Mises Caucus describes it is it's the revolution 2.0. We are literally reigniting um, and reviving the Ron Paul revolution. And I do see that happening. Um, And I see things happening beyond the Mises Caucus too, you know? Um, And I think that the Mises Caucus, the Mises Caucus has a lot, you know, has, uh, we have a lot, um, they, they share a lot of the thanks for, for what's going on. You know, Michael Heiss has been busting ass and Tom Woods and Dave Smith and everybody else getting involved has made a big, big difference. And then beyond that also in the agorist spaces, they've been making a huge difference. Um, people like, uh, like Jack Spierko, like Pete Quinones, like, um, I mean, Nicole sauce, like basically like all the unloose the goose folks are a big reason or a big inspiration for us having hosted the festival because I met Brian through an unloose the goose group, uh, Facebook or something like that, telegram. And we, we connected and met locally and just became fast friends. Um, but I'm one of the folks now who in maintaining my LP involvement, you'll, you'll repeatedly um, not so frequently that I think hopefully I'm not being too annoying about it, but I'll tell people in the LP, you need to read Konkin. You need to read Samuel Edward Konkin III. You need to read the new Libertarian Manifesto because if you're going to be involved in Libertarian Party activism, uh, Konkin has 
a lot of very valuable insights to share about that. Um, I mean, I've been telling that to the Washington LP. I've been telling that to the Mises Caucus as a whole. I'll tell that to anybody. And so, and I'm not one of these types of agorists who's going to knock party activism because I see the power of the community that is being built through the party. Um, and I do see the cultural impact that it is having and will continue to have as this revolution 2.0 as this Ron Paul revolution is truly revived. Like it makes, there's all these intangible, intangible benefits of the movement and the culture, um, growing and whether or not that ends up manifesting in actual political, uh, successes. I mean, sure we can debate that and there's actual, you know, we can, we can, point to, you know, successes. So the Mises caucus is going to continue to point to these successes of, Hey, look, this is like, these are like actual local people we've helped get elected local ordinances that we've helped pass to nullify these bad laws or to, you know, nullify the lockdowns, nullify, you know, gun control, all these other things. So we're definitely going to actually make strides politically. Um, and, my biggest motivator, and a lot of folks in the Mises Caucus will agree with this, is that we want to bring about a cultural revolution. So at the end of the day, what has to change in the world and in our country and wherever you are in your local community is the culture of people appreciating and valuing human liberty. And hopefully we get them to the point where they actually understand that they own themselves as an individual, that they own their life. And that because of that, you know, all relationships should be voluntary. I and mean, that's really the goal. I think that's the underlying message. And those are the underlying principles of the party that are too often overshadowed. I mean, you can read them. You can go straight to the statement of principles and read right there, you know, and or see plank number 1.1, literally the very first plank about self-ownership. But all too often it's overshadowed by, you know, Gary Johnsonism and the socially liberal, uh, socially liberal, fiscally conservative, or whatever other, you know, limited government type stuff, the principles are right there. And I think that the Mises caucus has come into the party helping to reinforce and to, uh, reestablish that as the foundation of the party. And that's why the radical caucus, the, old, the more old school radicals, because the Mises caucus is radical too. Um, we're, we're sort of the more radical wing of the party, uh, along with the radical caucus. So that's why we've been, we've been collaborating more and becoming closer friends, uh, between the rads and the, the Meacocks is because basically we're here to stand up for actually challenging the cult to quote our statement of principles, challenging the cult of the omnipotent state, um, and defending the rights of the individual. And so, yeah, even doing that, if there's, if we're, if we're saying that there's a cult out there and we want to challenge it, well, we're going to upset a lot of people. Um, and so I think that goes to show the divide, obviously, between the radical libertarians or Mises Caucus libertarians and the more pragmatic, you know, more mainstream or more moderate libertarians, right? Is that, you know, they want to brand liberty in a way that doesn't necessarily um, 
offend or, or challenge people too much um, in an uncomfortable way because people do get, do feel uncomfortable, uh, you know, having their beliefs challenged of, uh, you know, think just basic things that they grew up with government schools and government everything, right? Healthcare, you know, without government, how would we have X, Y, Z, right? And so challenging that narrative is going to entail making people uncomfortable and telling uncomfortable truths like Ron Paul was so good at, you know, he was just so good at doing that. So, so I am, I'm, I now I'll tell anyone if you're in the LP, yeah, read Konkin and do agorism. If you're an agorist, um, Hey, at least don't hate on other Liberty people doing what they feel they can to spread the message because Konkin himself wrote about dissemination um, and spreading the ideas of liberty. So I think we will hopefully, uh, I think we need to, as we continue to strive to grow the movement, uh, we'll see a sort of unity hopefully emerge between these two camps where as the Mises Caucus and the radical libertarians in the party are really spreading the message in a hardcore way. Hopefully the agorists will come to see that and see like, hey, they're just helping spread the message. That's all. Just like Ron Paul used to say, hey, I think people should be able to use gold and silver as money and, you know, buy raw milk, like um, or just do these basic things. He was kind of more or less saying, I, I, I think people ought to be able to do agorism, you know? without necessarily saying that. I think the dogmatism that you see so, from some of the more high-profile agorists, you know, it's a little bit problematic. And here's here's my big thing. Like, I don't really fit in too well with the agorist communities that have popped up, at least in my area. It sounds like if I were in the Pacific Northwest, where the community is much bigger, I would probably find a niche a little bit better. But, you know, I mean we have a Twin Cities Freedom Cell and it is entirely based on paranoia. There's no real positive message that I can see. You know, the, obviously there's stuff to be paranoid about. Like, <laughs> I'm not trying to like diminish the powers that be. They're definitely powerful and they're definitely a threat. But just from my own like emotional standpoint, even, I need that community. I'm too much of an extrovert to fit in with the conspiracy crowd, I think. And so that's what I get from the Mises Caucus is that that same just intoxicating energy that I got from the Ron Paul movement in 2012. Do you relate to that? Oh yeah, 100%. So when I first showed up in like late 2019, that was when, you know, definitely the Mises Caucus caught this big, big wave after Tom Woods and Dave Smith and Scott Horton and all of them simultaneously and Pete Quinones and others all pretty much simultaneously were saying, okay, yeah, I'm doing this too. If Tom's doing it, I'm doing it pretty much is how a lot of it went. Um, and that's how I felt too. You know, Tom was one of my, one of my few remaining threads to the movement. You might say after kind of just getting uninvolved in politics after the Ron Paul campaigns. And then after doing a little bit of activism after that, I worked with the Leadership Institute um, and helped start up Young Americans for Liberty groups um, in Arizona for a little bit. And, uh, but 
then one of my last remaining threads was kind of listening to Tom Wood's show, right? And so when it turned out, okay, Tom's saying, okay, now I'm joining the party. I said, huh, okay. Um, I want to be part of that. If the other, and for that matter, I want to meet the other Tom Woods fans in my area. We started having meetups and yes, that they, there's this whole other energy, I think to that crowd. And it's very much intoxicating. And it's, it's reminded me all along this past year for sure of those, those old Ron Paul days that I miss so much. So I'm loving it. What do you make of, well, specifically Tho Bishop, who is, he's really pushing the GOP as sort of the, the path to political liberty. And I, you know, I think he has a point. I don't think we're going to have libertarians elected to Congress or let alone the presidency in our lifetime. You never know. But uh, I think hopefully, you know, the amount of time that the amount of time that it, it would take for that to happen, the amount of cultural revolution that it will take for that to even be possible. Hopefully by then we are actually, you know, seceding and breaking up this massive empire because yeah. let's be honest, you guys, this is part of challenging the cult. This thing is not going to last. Okay. This thing cannot last. This thing cannot work. It's destroying everyone. Um, it, you know, may well, not just, not just America and the massive American empire, but this whole global multinational system, you know, um, global banking, um, global military industrial complex, uh, seems to want to just destroy all human life on earth or just to whatever, turn it in, turn us all into these, you know, into these, um, like little fiefdoms robot things connected to the yeah but anyhow um this has to be broke this cannot this cannot continue this cannot last i mean hopefully b- before we're to the point where we're even really seriously talking about electing you know libertarian more libertarian congressmen or presidents and stuff we've actually <laughs> broken this uh this terrible empire up so i don't know that's my take on it but no to to you know Though, um, though is awesome. You know, I'm, I'm obviously a huge, huge fan of the Mises Institute. Though does a crazy amount of great work for the Mises Institute. So kudos to him for that. Like I'm not, I'm not on Twitter and the other stuff, you know, I've tried to minimize, you know, at least the unhealthy, unhealthy social medias for my life more, um, you know, in the past year uh, or the past six months, especially and got off of Facebook and all those. So I, I catch bits and pieces of it and see what's been going on between Tho and the Mises Caucus. And, uh, well, I mean, I like that there are good libertarians, um, with a few of them in the Republican party doing their thing. And I don't necessarily, if I were them, I don't know how I would manage to tolerate, you know, having to be part of an organization that just treats you like an absolute joke. Like, I don't know how Ron Paul tolerated it for so long. Um, I mean, the man was, he, he, he had a long, um, very dedicated career to what we could actually call public service. Not like the rest of these, you know, scam artists and, uh, grifters that, you know, make up our whole, you know, political body, um, you know, political leadership, so to say, uh, quote unquote, um, Ron Paul actually did public service for people for many, many years of his life and was treated just like shit the whole time and by his own party for that matter too, you know, 
censored and ignored and ridiculed and oftentimes outright, you know, trying to get him out of office, basically. Um, I don't know how people like Thomas Massey do it, uh, but boy, am I glad that he is. I don't know that I want to encourage everybody to go and try to do that. I don't, I personally have zero motivation whatsoever to try to hang out in Republican party circles, or at least to the point of wanting, you know, getting them to want to elect me to their party. Um, I'm just not, I want to build, I want to build a community of the most like-minded people possible. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, I, I definitely wish though luck and whatever he's doing over there. Um, I don't see the, I see the movement and the energy of the movement really behind the Mises caucus and behind these other strategies that we've been talking about, then continuing the GOP, you know, strategy or Republican Liberty caucus or whatever it is. I think I, I definitely, I have respect for those organizations, you know, and I think that they're, they're a good fit for certain types of libertarians that just, maybe they just mesh a little bit better with that crowd, you know? Yeah, totally. I think, uh, I, I was actually, I was just talking with uh, Nick Ashley from the Individualist podcast last night and the LP is getting pretty good at electing local representatives like city council members and county boards of whatever counties have. In, as far as electoral politics go, maybe that's the maybe that's the way to go. These nonpartisan races where, you know, they're not looking for the R or the D next to your name. They're just looking for someone who's going to represent them well. The problem, of course, with that is that, you know, one of the suburbs of Minneapolis has like an almost entirely LP city council. And yeah, okay, sure. Like they've got private trash pickup, which, I mean, that's fine. <laughs> it's great. It's just not like, that's not where I want to put my energy. You know what I mean? Like, I'm glad that the city, you subscribe to a trash collection service rather than the city providing it as coming out of your out of your taxes. But like, I don't know, how much impact does that have? I think the role of the LP rather than, and, and this is, this runs entirely contrary to the Libertarian Pragmatic Caucus's stated goal. And I guess they're kind of the, the other influential caucus in the party besides the Mises and the rads kind of split between the two, to be honest. Their stated goal is to get libertarians elected. And like, I just don't see that as a great goal for the LP. I think the LP needs to be the, the place where libertarians are gravitating towards in order to build these communities that we've been talking about. The fact that the third largest political party in the country bears the name of a political philosophy and not just what like Republican and Democrat are sort of orientations for how a government should be run. Libertarian is an entire holistic worldview. And I don't think that people who don't represent that worldview should be propped up as representatives of that worldview. Yes. And I agree that, yeah, I agree that the pragmatic um, sort of aim of getting libertarians elected is well to me i see it as just it's it's a vision it's a goal it's just a smaller one than the bigger it's it doesn't really tell you that much about the big picture of what's going on it doesn't tell you that much about 
the cult of the omnipotent state about how how we're going to challenge it, you know. Um, and it doesn't tell you really about that that we're actually about getting politics and politicians out of your life. Like if we just want to get better ones elected, then we're we're really missing the point. Um, we've got to get people to actually understand that they even want you know, political intervention, government intervention out of, out of their life in the first place. Um, so, I mean, I'm all for getting libertarians elected so that they can, so they can on whatever level possible. I just realize it's not going to be everywhere. Um, it's just going to be pockets. What we need right now is pockets of liberty anywhere, anywhere we can possibly find them or make them. I don't think we're going to have, you know, these strongholds or to be able to make a really significant enough influence on the federal government, for example. So that's why I do like that the pragmatists, for example, have, and as, along with the Mises caucus has gotten behind this frontier project where they focus on electing like local and state level, um, candidates in particular in regions over here, uh, throughout the West that, are more ripe with opportunity for, for, a, for a third party candidate to be elected on a local level. Like people have more of an independent streak. Um, they can with relatively less money come over here and affect an election and, you know, get a city council member or a mayor or a state, you know, a state house state representative or something like that elected so that they can be at least pushing a counter view of no, we should, you know, th- th- all this stuff is unconstitutional. You know, we should nullify this. We can actually pass a local ordinance and say we're not going to enforce lockdowns. We're not going to enforce, um, you know, federal gun control mandates and things like that that violate the Constitution. Just the buck stops here, kind of thing. Um, I think that's awesome, but I think that's just that's just part of the bigger vision um, of the Cultural Revolution. So it's something that should come along, if we're successful with our cultural revolution, then yes, it will only naturally follow that we will get libertarians elected. So maybe the lesson to be learned then is that like all of these factions, whether it's agorists or prags or Mises slash rads, or even the GOP, like as long as they're working towards individual freedom, their goal is valuable. Yes. And also let's, yeah, I think we've got to, we've got to do our best to, and I want to give a shout out real quick to someone that I didn't get to mention earlier when we were talking about Squatch Fest, Anthony Samaroff. Anthony Samaroff. God, yeah. Anthony Samaroff, dude. I mean, so I got to meet him. He came to Seattle like, you know, a month or so ago and I got to meet him for the first time and I bought his book. Um, universal basic income for and against. It's a great, great book. It's basically almost like if you took economics in one lesson and you packaged it in a Trojan horse that was made to give to your your normie liberal friends. Um, you know, the Bernie, the the Bernie Bros and the Yang Gang folks that you know, like give them this book and they will be reading economics in one lesson. They just won't, you know, they're w- without even knowing it. Um and it's great. But anyhow, I digress. So like Anthony came out to an Agoras meetup here in Seattle and I was speaking there about Squatch Fest, like letting people know, Hey, you don't want to miss this. It's going to be, it's going to be the bomb. 
And Anthony was like, oh, I want to go to this. Um, I was like, dude, Anthony, done. Yeah, come out. Let's, let, let's do it. And he's like, I want to speak at this. I'm like, okay, I'm putting you on the website right now. You're going to be the first ever Squatch Talk. Uh, instead of TED Talks, we were calling them Squatch Talks, right? And so I put him down and he came out and spoke and he's been speaking in a lot of different places about his experience of getting to travel the United States or travel the world for that matter having kind of sort of been locked out of his own country because he's afraid that if he goes back to his home country of Scotland, that he won't be allowed to leave again uh, again unless he gets a forced injection. Because a lot of Europe is you know really bad like that right now. And so he's been traveling the US, sleeping on people's couches, or you know he's not, he's not poor or anything, but he gets a lot of help from the community. People invite him to, hey, come come out here to Seattle, come out here to Portland. You can stay here in my Airbnb. You can, whatever, you know, we'll keep you up and, uh, and, and put out, put on an event for you to get to meet the local libertarians and stuff. And so I got to hang out, hang out with him a few times and then have him speak at Squatch Fest or rather he asked me to interview him, um, for our Squatch talk. And, uh, he's been talking, he's been talking mainly about this community that he's getting to experience and get acquainted with all over the place, whether it's a Mises caucus event, like he also went and spoke in Pittsburgh. I was just about to say that I didn't know that he had come from Squatch Fest directly to Pittsburgh Yeah, because uh, it was the same weekend. But yeah, same thing. We, we hung out for a little bit. Uh, he's going to be on Blackbird in about a month once he's kind of settled down a little bit. And he's been, he's been preaching this sort of this sort of unity of, hey, we're a community. This is a valuable community. This is an important community. This is a community that <clears throat> that uh, can make it possible for people to change their ways and to and to leave that cult of statism because they you you have to you have have to give people an alternative. Like if people are part of the cult of statism, because that's because all of their social and economic relationships rely on that because they would be shunned from society, you know, if they, if they ever became a real challenge to, or became uncooperative with the whole statist, you know, agenda. Um, well, people have to have an alternative. They have to have another community because we're social animal. Um, and we do as individualist as you want to be, which I am, I mean, I've always been a very individualist, you know, libertarian. I know I'm not going to make it on my own, um, just emotionally or economically for that matter. And so now what we have emerging more and more is this powerful, beautiful, really inspiring and, and strong community of Liberty people from all over the spectrum, whether they like, again, whether you're LP or whether you're an agorist or whether you're something else, you're just a freedom cell person, you know, or all over, right? We've got to appreciate one another, treat each other just as human beings and give each other the grace of, we've all got our different walks of life. I've all got our different hobbies and interests and we don't have to rag on one another like, huh, you know, you're part of the LP, how dumb, you know, or, you know, oh, whatever, you're just, okay, you're in agorism, what, you think that we're just going to get liberty by just growing tomatoes, right? Like, let's, let's, let's respect one another and, and also have the humility. I think it comes down to humility 
that there is no end all be all. Like whatever our sacred cow thing is that we think everybody's got to got to get on board with, it's probably not that way because everybody's different. Everybody's got their own individuality and their own mission and vision and values and their own unique perspective. And so not everybody want, you know, might want or need to be part of the Mises caucus. Um, there's a lot more people out there for sure that I think would be a great fit to be involved with the Mises caucus and that haven't yet. And they very, very, they very much should get involved. And by that same token, there's a lot of people in the libertarian party that are so passionate about Liberty. And meanwhile, like in the rest of their life, they're so dependent on the state um, and dependent on the cults of the state that they're trying to challenge for their most, for their basic life necessities, you know? So I think we all need to take a holistic approach and appreciate what each different person brings to the table and not rag on each other. And I think it's in particular in person when you are, when you have these opportunities to be with others in person, whether it's at a festival or a meetup, you know, or even a state convention or a state convention or a national convention that a lot of that goes away because we are just human beings and we're here together in the moment. And we're, we're, we're trying to make it through this crazy, you know, new normal, new world order stuff going on. And so, yeah, we've just got to be there for one another and not trip over all these small petty things that we've let divide the movement for many years. Um, so I know a lot of people know that and, and then they get on Twitter and people are arguing and they're insulting the thing that you care about, whether you care about agorism and the libertarian party people don't really like take it seriously because they act like, okay, well, we actually need to get things done and we need to stop the government from doing all this intervention or you're the agorists and, you know, the libertarian party, um, I guess vice versa, right? You're maybe you're at the libertarian party and you're really mad because the agorists are constantly just ragging on the good things you're trying to do out off of the internet. I think, yeah, the more you're able to connect in real life, in your community with other Liberty loving people, all that stuff is not so important, you know? So I'm just, yeah, I'm, I'm wanting to, for my own just personal gain, keep seeking out or creating these opportunities for us to, to be together and to have a real life community, not just one on the internet, not just one on Twitter, uh, but a real powerful one that's doing, doing things for people's lives. Um, building it, whether it's building an intentional community, helping people learn how to grow food, um, or getting people plugged into the Mises caucus. Cause it's so fun. Um, and it's, it's awesome to be able to do, you know, a lot of the activism that we're doing and, and, you know, getting more media attention. It's really exciting to get to see Dave, you know, go give a speech or do a media appearance or go on Joe Rogan and be like, you know, red pilling millions of people like, hell yeah. I want to continue to see that. Who wouldn't be excited about that? Awesome. Well, I think we should leave it there, man. We've been talking for a while. Why don't you go ahead and plug? You've already gotten to plug on Magi.life. So plug that again. And then also just kind of let people know where they can follow you since you're not on the on the traditional socials. 
Oh, thanks. Um, sure. I mean, Amagi.life is my website that I haven't written very much on, but you can find my social links on there. Like I'm on float. I'm on, um, I'm on float. I'm like, I have profiles in some of the others, but float is one of the ones I'm using a little more now. Um, just not on a daily basis. Cause I don't, I'm not really using any social media on a super daily basis, but go find me on Amagi.life. You can pretty much follow me wherever you want. Um, except for the big, you know, I'm not on Facebook anymore, um, or Twitter or Instagram. Um, so go check out my website. And also, um, I guess worth noting that we're doing these festivals twice a year now in the spring and the fall, um, the October festival up here in Washington, uh, the Sasquatch freedom festival harvest party is what we're calling it in the fall is harvest party. That'll be October 20th through the 24th. So folks can already mark the calendar and plan to be a part of it, um, plan to travel up here from wherever. We welcome our friends from all over. Would love to continue getting some big names come out. And um, so there's that. You can find that at squatchfest.site or very soon, we're probably going to get set up on our new um, domain I got from Unstoppable Domains, so we now have SquatchFest.crypto. Nice. We're gonna we're gonna be doing some really cool stuff with that. I mean, we already were selling tickets mainly via crypto, but we're gonna work on incorporating NFTs and smart contracts and other cool stuff. Like we're 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 legitimately doing it. We're doing all the agorism stuff. We're doing all the liberty stuff. So other people can argue as much as they want. We're just over here doing it. So you can come be a part of it. Awesome. I've got blackbird.crypto and I don't know what to do with it. So I'll have to figure it out one of these days. Thanks so much, Miguel, for joining me and we will talk soon. Thanks, James. This is fun. Thanks for everything you're doing. Totally. You too. All right. Thanks again to Miguel for joining me today. And thank you as always for tuning in. If you haven't already, please make sure that you are subscribed with your email address at blackbird.substack.com. I will make sure to put all the links in the show notes, which you can find there along with any other written content that I produce along with every episode of this podcast. If you're a fan of the show, make sure that you leave a rating and a review at iTunes. It really helps. And if you're listening on YouTube or Odyssey or anywhere else, then give the mark of approval there as well. Thanks again. I will see you on the next episode of Blackbird. And until then, live free.